Final Four is not on the schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here. Thrilled to have another great guest with us today on the Final Four is not on the schedule, Robbie Hummel. Robbie is uh, played for Purdue for from 2007 to 2012. He was a first team all Big Ten player three times, the first player to do that since Bettine Cleves. And unfortunately, suffered ACL tear in 2010, uh, returned to success, still played in the NBA for a couple of years, and now serves as an analyst for BTN and ESPN. And the reason we had him on is because he is one of our favorite analysts, and we've mentioned that before in the show. And so we really appreciate all the work you do. Smart, actually have opinions that are um, interesting during the show. And, you know, if you see a bad call, you'll call it out. And we really appreciate that and just your overall analysis and the um, clue, the prep work you take into the game. So we appreciate you coming on the show with us today. No, thank you for having me. I uh, I have listened to your guys' podcast numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern uh, Big Ten city. <laughs> so I, I am big fans of your guys' work as well. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, we've had you know we've had Mike DeCorsi, Jay Billis, and now you. So it's kind of nice back to back to back. People who really respect opinions, and so. Um, but today we're gonna we're gonna try and change focus a little. bit. We've been talking sort of more national scope, but we want to talk a little bit more Big Ten. So you're you're definitely Midwest Mid Big Ten guy, and so you're gonna have a little better in depth knowledge. And I kind of hate to open with this question, but I think it's the one that's the big grill in the room. You know, Purdue when it comes to the national championship or the NCAA tournament this season. Uh, I know you've been asked a bunch of times, but just for our listeners, what do you think happened in that game that sort of that led to sort of what you know transpired? Was that something unique to the season? Or what are your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I don't think it was unique to the season. I did the Penn State game, and uh, that was the the home game for Purdue and West Lafayette. And Micah Shrewsbury did a similar thing to what Farley Dickinson did, where it's like, all right, if the ball's on the wing, whoever's guarding the basketball is going to sag off to kind of make that post-entry pass uncomfortable, dare a shooter to shoot. You got your big guarding Zach Eady, and you have the weak side help defense that is just loading up. And Penn State did it, and Mason Gillis made nine threes. You know, <laughs> actually, I did the game, and he broke my record in Mackey <laughs> Arena um, for threes made in a game. So I'd seen them take advantage of that, but I've heard Matt Painter say this a few times, and they, I think, as a staff at Purdue, have really gone back and watch the last three NCAA tournament losses that they've had, which would be St. Peter's last season, obviously fairly Dickinson this year. And I I'm blanking on who they lost. North, oh, North, Te- uh, North Texas. Oh, in North Texas. I should know. I yeah. did that game too. I'm like the <laughs> angel of death apparently for, <laughs> for Purdue at times. Um, so, so yes, North Texas. And they, they found that, all right, they shot the three horribly. Mm-hmm. And with their bigs, that's, that's going to allow teams to really load up on those big guys. And they've turned the basketball over against smaller teams that can pressure their guards. Now, Purdue's fans were clamoring for, well, why don't we drive the ball? Why don't we? And I would, my argument to that is, you know, do you want guys now driving the basketball who haven't done that all year long and doing things that they haven't done all season long? Um, They're getting wide open shots that I think Purdue is comfortable with them making. But, you know, it's like, is this the definition of insanity where you're banging your head against the wall trying to make some threes and none of these are going in? But the argument is they're good shots. They're open shots. But you could just see in the Purdue game, and I was watching it in Des Moines with Jason Benetti and Aaron Cummins because we were doing the radio for Westwood (laughs) One. And I could, it felt like a slow motion train wreck. I, I just felt like... At the end of the first half, I didn't feel good about where we were at. I didn't feel good about the way we were playing. And you could just see as those shots started to continue to miss and miss and miss, you know, there was some some tight bodies out there. And that's the beauty and the curse of the NCAA tournament is the arenas will turn on the favorites, but also the pressure ramps up to just an incredible level. And I just didn't think that Purdue's guys dealt with that all that well. Do you think... um you know, because one of the one of their 
defensive tricks or whatever is to completely sag off the shooters, which is un- very unusual. Usually you make a show, at least, you know, try and, you know, disrupt the shooter in some way. I mean, they weren't even trying that. It, no, do you think it like was a psychological attack, right? I mean, it was like a yeah, totally I mean, it, different it, way it, of playing. It can be. I, I know I, I've played with guys who have not been guarded before and it, it messes with their minds. Um, you know, I, I think it can make you take quick possessions. You know, I'm open. I should shoot. <laughs> yeah. And you miss a couple of those in a row. And now you've had, you know, a second of a possession. And then it, it depends on your opponent, but then they can put you on defense for 30 seconds. You know, we used to do it against Wisconsin was <laughs> the king of that with Bo Ryan. <laughs> you know, all right, we take a quick shot. Well, then they're going to go down and run 34.5 seconds of swing. <laughs> and if God forbid we give up an offensive rebound, better load up for 34.5 <laughs> more seconds of swing. So um, th- there's a lot of dynamics at play. I think some guys are affected by that more than anything. But the, the fact of the matter is, if you start that game and you make a couple shots from three, you could plant the doubt in Fairleigh Dickinson's mind. Right. Like, oh, we can't do this. They're gonna they're gonna blitzkrieg us from the three point line. We can't. And Purdue, I think percentage wise, was okay last year from three. But they had games where they were really good, and they had games where they were abysmal. And unfortunately for for us, that was a game where we shot abysmally. Do you think with uh, you know the the definitely emphasis in Purdue the last few years? You've had Zach Eady, you had uh, Isaac Haas, uh, Matt Harms to some extent fairly not immobile but you know less mobile and athletic bigs and really big bigs right and, and you sure. play with Jawan Johnson who's much more dynamic and athletic uh, yeah do you do you see Matt Painter moving more to that reconsidering sort of his strategy in these really big monsters you know in the in the paint I mean what do you think about that sort of strategy that's an interesting question because I think Matt Painter has just kind of evolved through whoever is his best player to play through them. So when he first got there, it was Carl Landry, who's like a six, six back to the basket yep. beast. Mm-hmm. And they played through Carl. And then with our teams, it was probably the most we played through Etwan Moore um, and, and Jawan Johnson as well. And I think that I kind of got thrown in that mix some, but probably those through those two, the most, um, after that, you'd say A.J. Hammonds. Um, you'd go to Caleb Swanigan, along with Vincent Edwards and, and Dakota Mathias. And then you kind of get into the, you know, the Isaac Haas is in that deal too. Biggie Swanigan, Carson Edwards. So it's kind of like a meandering road through all different positions. But I, I don't think that he's married to a mobile bigs. I think that if he could get a super athletic big guy that was a really good player, he, he'd take him. Um, but I just think it's happened to work out where they've gone from AJ Hammonds, who was actually pretty mobile, but he's huge. He's seven foot tall onto Isaac Haas. And then you mentioned Matt Harms. And now here we are with Zach Eady. And those have just kind of been the best players. I don't think he's recruiting to get a mobile, huge people, but he, he has certainly, those are the types of bigs he's gotten. But again, I think there's that kid, um, I believe he plays in Marion right now, uh, Fiore Bedunga. I'm right. sure they're recruiting him hard. Like he's he's one of the best players in the country. I think it's just kind of worked out where the bigs that they've gotten have been good players, but they've been more immobile. But it's not that they'd be opposed to taking a guy like a Jawan Johnson if that, you know, that opportunity presented itself. Well, kind of maybe moving segueing from that uh, that last answer. The conference as a whole has been taking hits in recent years, basically from COVID on, for lack of March success. Yeah. Uh, Do you think that it's kind of a fluky, cyclical thing? Or or do you think that there might be, because it's not just Purdue that's had big, less mobile centers. In, In recent years, I mean, I think you'd have to go back to the 70s, maybe, to find a period where we had as many of those types of guys in the league as we've had the last three years when you think about guys like Garza, Dickinson, sure. Kofi Coburn, the yep. Purdue guys, it's a lot of them. Um, do you think that there are, it's just kind of a fluke that the league hasn't done all that well lately? Or, or are there maybe roster or systemic issues which are hurting Big Ten teams once they get to the tournament? No, I, I think it's a combination of things. I, I don't think that necessarily playing through your bigs in the NCAA tournament is the greatest recipe for success. And I think that's probably a good reason why Michigan State last year made it the furthest because Tyson Walker and 
AJ Hogard and Jay Nakins and those guys are, are pretty dynamic. And Michigan State shot the three really well, even if it was on low volume. But that is more of a recipe, I would say, for long-term March success when you're looking at individual teams. With that being said, it's such a matchup-oriented deal. You know, if Purdue draws, I'm trying to think who would be a good example um, from last year. Um, but if you draw a team that is going to play a back-to-the-basket big opposed to a Fairleigh Dickinson who's going to be really small guards, that that could be in their favor. But also at the same time, it should be in their favor with the fact with small guards and that they should pummel them physically on the glass. So there's there's like these trade-offs in that. I think when it's all said and done, the Big Ten's lack of success in the tournament comes down to the elite guards in college basketball have played in the ACC, in the Big 12, and I would say in the SEC. That is where the elite playmaking five-star talent that's going to the NBA probably off of one or two seasons have been. And there's some reasons, I think, for that, why they're not in the Big 10. But that's what wins in March. And I think those types of guys haven't necessarily been in the Big Ten outside of a few maybe examples. And I, I think that that's just, that's how you win. You have guards that get their game on when the game is on the line in March Madness. What what do you what do you think some of those reasons are <laughs> for why those guys, because I agree with you. I think in the last few years, if you look at last year and look at the point guard position in the Big Ten, wasn't great. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. Um, right. What do you think some of those reasons might be? Is it the way that recruits perceive the conference? Is it other things? I think, you know, there is probably some perception issues that the league fights, and it's what you talked about where, all right, well, they're going to throw it inside to Kofi Coburn and Hunter Dickinson, well, formerly of the Big Ten, Hunter <laughs> Dickinson, uh, Zach Eady, um, all those guys that you mentioned. It is it is known more for being a physical, tough, rugged league and I think you know, everyone talks about the officiating. I think that is a load of crap because I'm watching, let's say, John Higgins last year, and he's just retired to be the head of officials right. in this random consortium out West. But I would watch him officiate a Big Ten game and then do a Pac-12 game, and then the next night he's doing a Big 12. Like, he's all over the place. Yeah. Like, there's no right. – there are some refs that probably do more of certain leagues, but you're getting a pretty good – mixture of guys from all of the high major leagues when you're talking about the big 10 it's not like when i played when you're like well here's eddie hightower and uh <laughs> ted hillary and uh who else can i think of that ted, was a blast ted, steve welmer ted is Val out here ted yeah teddy valentine you know those guys yeah. jim burr is here officiating right. those guys were heavily in the big 10 and they would kind of find their ways to other leagues too i don't think it's the officiating i, I really think that the Big Ten is known more as a league that doesn't um, cheat. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I think when you're talking about the highest end guards, and NIL kind of evens that playing field out because now, you know, it's kind of out in the open and, and I'm sure that there's still cheating that's going on. But I think because it's more of an on the up and up conference, the high end guards are going other places to maybe not so up and up recruitment deals. Yeah. I, the other thing I would, I would want to add and, and ask you your, your view on is I know it's something that Tom Bezo, of course, this is a Michigan state podcast. That's mostly what we're focused on, but Tom Bezo over the years has, has talked a lot about his best teams in March have tended to be those who were very, very flexible. Yep. And that's, I think, usually the goal he has as best as he can. Some years the personnel doesn't allow for it as much as others, but that, you know, you talked about matchups being so important. It seems to me that the real key is you can play and win in a variety of ways. And when I think about the Michigan State teams that have gone to Final Fours, that's usually been their MO, is they could win a 55-54 game or they can win an 85-84 game and anything sure. in between. Um, and it seems to me that maybe in recent years, the Big Ten hasn't had as much of that kind of flexibility. You think that's also maybe a factor as well? The yeah, teams I think just so. kind of get locked into it? 
Yeah, and I, I think with the bigs, there, there's just, you know, Zach Eady is going to play the five. He's going to right, be in right, drop yeah. coverage. He It just right, takes exactly. away a lot of your options, whereas, all right, Michigan State's team, for example, last year, if Madi Sissoko is getting torched, whether he's hedging the ball screens or he's in drop, you know, Tom Izzo could say, you know what, forget it. We're going to play small. We're going Malik Hall at the four. We're going Joey Hauser at the five. And, you know, if you can hold your own on the glass with that lineup, now, from a skill perspective, You've got five dudes on the floor that can all dribble, pass, and shoot. So I think that that's a great point. When you play through a center, not only is that going to clog the lane. Now, Zach Eady is clogging the lane, you could say in quotes, <laughs> while giving you 30 and 15. You know, that's, that's a pretty good problem to have from that perspective. But defensively, they, it does hamstring you a little bit when you have a big that, that struggles to guard, pick, and roll in a number of different ways. Yeah, it seems to me that's kind of the – the, the catch 22 that a lot of teams in the big 10 have been in recently is these, these giant centers are very, very, very productive players. Yep. So you can't look at a Kofi Coburn or even a, as much as we're not fans of Dickinson and, and say, well, this guy's garbage. <laughs> Don't play. him." Right. You know, I mean, they put up huge numbers. You understand why they're playing, but as you say, it comes with a cost as well. And you're, you're kind of, I even think those teams on offense, it it hurts in some ways, at least in terms of limiting flexibility, because you have that kind of weapon in the post. Well, you've got to feed them, right? Yeah, you got, so you got to throw it inside. Do. You got to throw it inside. And I think on top of that, from a pace perspective, I know Illinois, yep. Brad Underwood wants to run. He's always right. wanted to play fast. Um, and with Kofi, they felt like they had to throw it inside. I look at Penn State as a great example last year of a team that bucked the norms of the Big Ten Conference, mm -hmm. where they really played small. And it's funny because my last year at Purdue, we did the same thing, where I would play the five, and we would just put skill all out on the floor and hang on for dear life on the glass, <laughs> try right. to defend to the best of our ability, but just load the floor with shooters. And it's a dangerous way to play. And that's why Penn State ends up making that run. And I, I did the game in Des Moines against Texas. They were right there. And Absolutely. Texas was as talented as anybody in the country last year. I mean, they were loaded, one through eight. And Penn State gave them all they wanted, but they, they're terrifying. They've got a superstar in Jalen Pickett who can back you down. He's unique. He's great in pick and roll. He's a good passer. He'll score. And you just load it with shooting around him. And and Mike had told me, because I played for, for Shrews, he was an assistant at Purdue my senior year. And at Big Ten Media Day, he goes, you're going to love our team. It is a <laughs> spitting image. Now, Jalen Pickett is better than I was for sure. <laughs> but he said, we've got a guy we're going to play around, and we're just going to load shooting around him. And we're just going to try to hang on for dear life rebounding. And we'll hope for the best, but we're going to try to make you know, 13 threes a game. And that's what they did. Yeah, he was definitely Rod's favorite team outside of Michigan State this season to watch. Yeah, they, I thought they were a blast to watch. Yep, no doubt. Uh, yeah, so, you know, talking about teams kind of in the gutter and not playing well in the NCAA tournament, well, our sponsor is the Brothers That Just Do Gutters. They, If you want your gutter work done, they'll take care of it. They do a great job. They're, we now have the guys in the west side of the state, Kurt and his team, and there's also the guys in the east side of the state. Uh, Greg and his team. So you can go to the brothers that just do gutters. They specialize only in doing gutter work. We get lots of rain, lots of leaf buildup. If you want just leaf guards, you want repair, replacement. They are the guys to do the job, fully insured, efficient, friendly. Uh, you know, they did my house and did a fantastic job and I would highly recommend it to anyone else. Uh, you can find a link to that uh, below in YouTube or on your uh, podcast player. So let's move on to the place where uh, basically if you want to just skip watching a game for as a Michigan State fan, you might as well just skip watching the game that's being played at Mackey Arena. Uh, you played there. What I mean, what was that home environment like? And uh, and then I guess, you know, the extension of that is where didn't where didn't you like to play when you're on the road? Yeah, I mean, Mackey is a tremendous atmosphere. And it was funny because. When I was in college and when I committed there out of high school, I knew, you know, I'd been to some, a couple of games on visits and I'd seen it on TV and it's like, wow, this is, this is Indiana basketball. I mean, you, my high school, my last high school game, I actually lost to Etuan Moore, who was my roommate freshman year. And we'd played <laughs> AAU together from, I played against him in middle school. We played together for two years for uh, SYF, which was a Nike team out of Gary, Indiana. 
And, you know, my last high school game had 8,000 people at the game. Whoa. So it's, it's different in that, in the state of Indiana from an attendance standpoint and the way high school basketball is viewed, but you know, Mackie, the level of noise that you deal with in that building, I think because it has to be because of the materials the roof is made of or <laughs> whatever it is, the fans are right there on top of you. Um, but when I was playing, do you guys remember the NCAA video game that was out? It was like NCAA. Sure. Yes. Yeah. When I was playing, yep. we all of course had the game because it was a blast to, to play with yourself. And, uh, <laughs> but it was also funny how inaccurate it would be on some of the players that they were rating. Um, but they had this deal in the game. I think my junior year, where if you were rated a top 25 atmosphere, which obviously Cameron Indoor was one, Fog Allen was two, Illinois at the time was was a popular, trendy pick for one of the best because mm-hmm. D. Brown and Darren Williams had just come through there. The Breslin Center, rightfully so, was in that mix. Assembly Hall in Bloomington would have been up there, but it, it basically rated the top 25 venues. And if you were playing and you were playing a home game as one of those top 25 teams, you could mash like X and O <laughs> on the PlayStation and it would make the controller rattle as someone was shooting free throws you know and but it was only for the top 25 venues Mackie wasn't even considered a top 25 in that game wow so i we always were like man this is one of the best places that we play at and i don't think we're being biased not to say that michigan wasn't great or indiana but i don't think nationally it was understood how tough of a place to play it was and in fairness to that video game in ea sports Purdue had not been very good since Brian Cardinal's team in 2000, 2001. So there'd been some down years and with down years come probably weaker attendance um, and a lot of losses. So it was getting back there, but now it's considered a top three or four atmosphere, I would say in college basketball. And the fact that, you know, I, I do a lot of games throughout the year and a decent amount of them over Christmas break. And I've been to some bad attendance wise big 10 games over that holiday break just because the opponent stinks there's a lot going on with the holidays yeah and purdue is selling those things out and michigan state would be right there with them but there's some places that get some some bad crowds around around christmas yeah carver hawkeye being one of them i know <laughs> uh, yeah that would be accurate <laughs> uh okay so where so where did you where didn't you want to play i guess was oh the yeah idea. sorry it's all right I mean, I loved playing on the road. So it was never an I don't want to play there. It was a I respect the crowd type deal. And for for us, Indiana had to be one. Sure. Because when we'd go in there, it would be much like when Michigan State goes in. Although I do think that at times the you know Chrysler Arena can be we agree. a little bit of we a agree. Wine, yeah. wine and cheese type atmosphere. <laughs> um, but it's that type of game, right? You're looking right. at your rival. It's an amped up atmosphere. But but for us, it was certainly Indiana, Michigan State, and as, as a close second. And then the Kohl Center had this level of invincibility at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we won there my <laughs> freshman year. And the only Big Ten team that it had won at the time was the D. Brown, Darren Williams, Luther Head, Illinois team. So it was it felt like this unbelievable – and it's still a tough place to play. I think their attendance has suffered a little bit because it's a huge arena. But the Cole Center had to be up there. And then for me, Illinois would have been pretty good as well. But it was those four were the upper echelon um, of when I was playing. And now I think Maryland's a great addition stadium-wise. Rutgers certainly as well. And even Nebraska. Nebraska is a, is a tough place to play. And they want a winner there so bad in, in all sports. So it's it's a sleeping giant in that regard. I, I totally agree. If they If they ever give those people – or reason any to sport. get really I mean, excited. Volleyball, football, <laughs> yeah, basketball. Right. Yep. Volleyball does. Volleyball is really good. Um, yeah. So you're, you're totally right. Um, so you play, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your entire career, you played in an 11 team Big Ten, right? Uh, no, my well, fifth was Nebraska year, ended? Nebraska was, end, was added, okay. yes. So most of your career in an 11 team conference. Yes. So that period, we were still pretty close to the old, Big Ten, everybody plays everybody else home and home format. Correct. And now we're in a we're in a period where what is it two years from now we're going to have sixteen with USC and UCLA coming in. What do you think that that does to 
the importance of the regular season and the regular season championship in the Big Ten. Because that used to be, I mean, especially I'm old enough to go back to, you know, the era before the conference tournament. Sure. That used to be the the be all and end all other than the NCAA was winning the Big Ten regular season. Do you think that that's lost anything now that we play these tremendously unbalanced schedules? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I don't think it loses the luster because winning the Big Ten is such a hard thing to do. But I do think that, at least in my mind, I look at it as the schedule is so important. Sure. Um, you know, it just it makes such a big difference. If you want it when I was playing or or prior to that, you really had to go through the gauntlet of winning at most of those schools you know, road venues. And yep. of course the schedule could matter then as well. If Purdue, for some reason in that time, if let's say we didn't play two or three teams twice and we got Michigan state, Wisconsin and Ohio state, you know, well, that's a, that's an advantage for sure. Mm -hmm. But they were pretty with, with that few, it was pretty easy to, I think, balance the schedule. Now, like last year, I thought when we did the schedule release in October, I felt that I believe it was Illinois had by far the easiest schedule. Now it ended up not mattering because they were a roller coaster all year long, but I thought Indiana's schedule was insane. And I, I have Ken Palm up here, which I haven't been on Ken Palm in a while, but let me even pull up Indiana's schedule last year to uh, just to show what it was. It was, they finished and Northwestern being good made this even harder but from February 4th on, they played Purdue, Rutgers, at Michigan, at Northwestern, Illinois, at Michigan State, at Purdue, Iowa, Michigan. And before the season, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> Northwestern is is really the – because Michigan was supposed to probably be better than they were. Um, and every other team was looked at as a team that could be in the top five or six. So – um, it, it does make a difference. And I think in because of that, it it not an asterisk, but it's something that I will always think about. Um, but I, I do believe that winning the Big Ten is incredibly hard. It's an unbelievable feeling to achieve that. You get a ring, you get a banner in your arena. You know, it's it's a great feeling. And I, I don't think it devalues it, but it certainly changes things about it. Do you think that maybe as as a result of that? Do you think it's maybe increased the importance or just the 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 luster around the Big Ten tournament? See, I always I felt like the Big Ten tournament was just a second chance to to win another championship, you know? <laughs> like which it it's it's a cool format, and then it's and then it's single elimination, and I think it's such a cool thing to have every Big Ten team in one place at the same time. But I will say it is the weirdest feeling when you get to the last day and everyone is gone except for the team you're playing after seeing all these teams. So, again, I, I looked at it as a chance to, to be a Big Ten champ, um, even if it's not the same. I wouldn't say it's the same level of achievement as winning the Big Ten because you do that over the course of three months. But still, you win a single elimination tournament against the teams that you're going up against with the Michigan States and the Purdue's and the Illinois and the Ohio States of the world – that counts for something. So I I like the fact that there's both. I know that it's a big thing for for TV. Really, is why we've kind of gone well, yeah. that direction. Sure. Um, but it's great TV. I mean, there's a reason that people watch it. And there's a reason that it rates well, and there's a reason that you've got Jim Nance and Bill Rafter and Grant Hill coming in for Saturday and Sunday because sure. it's it's an important thing. Yeah. Every once in a while, I I can remember for for me as a Michigan State fan, the first time that I really felt it was um, actually during your era. It was the 2012 season when MSU, Ohio State, and Michigan all tied for the regular season title. Right, right. And, and MSU and Ohio State had split the two regular season games, and then they met in the Big Ten tournament final. And it really did feel like a heavyweight fight. Totally. To determine the whole thing. And every we had another one of those, uh, I guess it was in 19 against Michigan, MSU and Michigan facing off. It felt similarly so every once in a while we get lucky that way yep. where it yep. feels like it actually is the rubber match of something that's you know? true that's very true there's no i in team but there is one in indeed and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours 
When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, yeah, so it's a, I've been to the Big Ten tournament now three or four years in a row, and it I it totally is dependent on the teams that make it. So like this last year, if Purdue was there, and there a lot there's a big Purdue contingent, but Penn State is a very small contingent for basketball fans, and so yep. it was a weird championship game. In fact, my son the, during the semifinals was cheering, I think for Purdue and uh, who did was it Indiana? It was playing uh, I, IU lost to Penn State. Yes. Yeah. So yep. he wanted that match because he thought then the the crowd would be insane. It'd be, you know, that, that would right? have been insane because Indiana has a much bigger contingent in Chicago than Purdue, I would say. Yes, for sure. Uh, I think, and they, you know, obviously in Indianapolis is that way as well. I will see what it's like yeah. in Minneapolis. I think in general, yeah, Indiana fans travel be, well. It could be weird next year, but we're <laughs> spoiled from, from Chicago and Indy because in those two cities, you've got Michigan, Michigan state, Indiana, Purdue, I'll throw Ohio State in there as drivable. Mm-hmm. Illinois, Northwestern, yeah. not that they have a huge fan base, and Iowa. So and Wisconsin. Yeah. You've got all those schools that can really drive. And with Minnesota, and I played for the Timberwolves, and I obviously have been to Minneapolis a ton, but it's just so far from the majority of the schools. We better hope that Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa, and Wisconsin <laughs> are just making runs. From an attendance standpoint, right. um, otherwise it could be a little light. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was actually went to to medical school and I did residency in in Iowa City. So I would travel up to occasionally up to uh, Minneapolis, but it's still a long haul even from Iowa City. It's it's not a. Short I want to say three hours. Is it three hours from Iowa City? Yeah, it's about four. Yeah, three and a half or four. four yeah, I suppose it depends how fast it's you drive. A, it's a haul. It, yeah, it's, it's not super close. Uh, but you know, it was always nice you go up there and you pound uh, Minnesota in the vid football anyway. Back in the Metro Dump. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, just for those of you watching, you can see I'm wearing my fantastic Nudge printing shirt. This is the shirt I wore when I won the trip for two, the Final Four this season at the shooting free throws at the Breslin Center. And um, so I want to make sure you check out Nudge Printing. They've been a great sponsor for Michigan State for our show. They uh, do a fantastic job with Spartan Strong. They raise over $155,000 printing. I, I can't remember, it's 15,000 shirts or 20,000 shirts. I can't remember, it was a lot. Uh, so they've done a lot for the Spartan community. Gabe and Brittany are great sponsors and they're great Spartans. They own, not only have Spartan gear, but they have all kinds of other gear too, like uh, stuff for other schools in the state of Michigan. So you can check out their site at nudgeprinting.com. It's highly, it's breathable, very soft. It, they're actually my the favorite shirts of my family. All my, my daughter, my wife, they wear them all the time when they're working out or just walking around the house and stuff because they're so comfortable. Um, and they look just as good now as they did when they've 20 washes ago. That's when we first got them. So check out Nudge Printing. You get 20% off if you go uh, use that coupon code at checkout. All right. So the next thing is about, we're talking a little bit back about the NCAA tournament. There is a lot of talk about expanding the field for the NCA, And namely, you know, right now, 68 teams, you know, I think there are a number of us like, I don't know, 64 seemed right for whatever reason. Right. So the, adding the four was seemed kind of funny. So now there's talk, especially in the SEC, about expanding to, you know, I don't know, adding an extra 30 teams or so because some of their, their teams are missing out on postseason opportunities. What do you, how do you feel about those proposals? Do you think they're something that's going to really happen? Do you think there's enough money that's going to force this decision? Or do you think it's a risky yeah, proposition? I, I mean, I, I hate it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that... 30 is especially like an egregious number. Um, and I know that they've thrown out all sorts of, of deals. I, I've heard one proposal that I said, all right, I can maybe get behind this. And that would be a play-in type deal, kind of like they have to get into really the play-in games. If you wanted to do that, fine. But like, I, I just, why? 
<laughs> were we really missing out? Who was on the bubble this year that I'm thinking of? Like, were we were we like, man, if Oregon was in the NCAA tournament this year, it would have been so much better. <laughs> yeah, Rutgers. Or if, if Wisconsin, <laughs> we really missed out on Wisconsin. I guess Rutgers, you can make the case that they got a raw deal. Um, but I, man, where were they going to go? Let's think. <laughs> win, win more games then. You know, like yeah, yeah. this is not the tournament of this is not the Indiana State High School tournament where every team gets in for a miracle run like this. This makes the regular season matter. So you have to win games in the non-conference and then play well in league. So I'm I'm against it. I think the NCAA tournament is an outstanding sporting event. And I just think that adding more teams would water it down. So I. I am vehemently against it, and I really, really hope that this never happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, and if you look at it from a massive point, where the 354 teams, Division One teams, 68 make it, that's like almost 20%. I mean, it's still a lot of teams make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously, if you're the smaller conference, you don't make it, but. And the worst part of it, too, is, uh, Eric, as I think you mentioned, it seems like most of the drive from this is coming from some conference commissioners in major conferences. It would be one thing if we'd say, well, okay, some of these one-bid leagues actually might have a second team that would be fun to see in the tournament. But if we're talking about going from 8 to 9 or 8 to 10 in the SEC, who cares? Yeah, Who needs it? And no, I know that, that- that's totally fair because the one-bid leagues do at times have good teams. But to add Texas Tech into the NCAA tournament just to get another Big 12 team in when they're 16 and 16 <laughs> – you know, I, I just, that doesn't right. make sense. Or Oklahoma State, 20 and 16. But I would be for it, I suppose, if it could find a way, maybe not for it, but I'd be more open to it if it was to get a team like, a, um, did Liberty make the tournament this year? I think they didn't. They missed no, they out. they missed out, yeah. Like Liberty would be a team from the A-Sun where you're like, oh, well, they, you know, they've got a great player. They've traditionally been pretty good, I, I guess. But I still, I'm good with what we got at 68. So... Turning, turning our attention to our favorite subject at this podcast, Michigan State, um, we're assuming, and we'll hope that we're right about this, that A.J. Hogard and Jade Nakins will be withdrawing from the draft over the next week or so and, and returning for, for one more year at Michigan State. And I think that's the general expectation. Um, assuming that that's correct, what do you think about MSU, its chances to contend for a Big Ten title, perhaps get back to another Final Four. I mean, I, I think the expectations among the Michigan State fan base are very high. Sure. But I'm curious what your view is of, of their potential next year. No, I think they've got a ton of potential. I, I do think, and I you wouldn't have said this a year prior, but Joey Hauser will be a loss. You know, he had a great season. Mm-hmm. And I sure. think he's, he was a versatile piece, and he, he knew his role, and he – could make shots from the perimeter um so they'll they'll have to fill that void but bringing everybody else back assuming that hogard nakins comes back and i'd love tyson walker's game um, malik hall coming back and hopefully healthy will be huge it'll be interesting to see what jackson kohler looks like with another year of development um can he be a more effective defender obviously he can score um i think defensively and, and from a rebounding standpoint a- athleticism is going to be important there too sissoko is back um, and then the recruiting class that tom Izzo brings in you know looked at as as one of the best and not just the big 10 but the country now i i've heard just because xavier booker's an indianapolis kid and i grew up in the state of indiana i've heard he's in- incredibly talented but his motor could be at times questionable which sure. is something that I don't think that uh, flies with Tom Izzo. <laughs> so I, I look forward to seeing how that plays out. Um, but Jeremy Fears, a, a really talented point guard that, that's coming in from the state of Illinois. And then I think the other two kids are are in that top. I think Cohen Carr is like a top 50 player, 40 Depends player. What, yeah, yep. service use, yeah. Yeah, depending on where you look at. So really good recruiting class coming in with a, a veteran battle-tested group. So I, I think there's no reason that Michigan State could not contend for the Big Ten. and. You know, I, college basketball is crazy. You have these, you know, way too early top 25 <laughs> rankings. And with the portal, they change all the time. But I think Michigan State will will be right there in, in the top six or seven teams in the country. Yeah, that's the, the reason we can ask about Michigan State is because it's one of the exceptions that it it's, seems relatively settled. Sure. You know, pending those two 
those two draft decisions. But I, again, I think the expectation has been that, that they would be likely to come back. Um, we haven't even, you know, we, we've talked, we usually try to do Big Ten previews in the summer at some point. And every year we keep having to push it further and further back. The portal is killing you guys. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> it kills everybody. I mean, as you say, it's crazy, but day to day, it's like the stock market. Who's up, yeah, who's down. I know. It's crazy. Um, it's chaos. Not, not a lot of stability there. So the, the last question that I had, you played in the same era as, as Draymond Green. Sure. Um, what do you remember about competing against him? And and did you ever imagine that he was going to have the kind of professional career that he's had? Because I'll be candid. I didn't see it. Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great question. Um, so I will say this, and, and I am not in any way, shape or form saying this to degrade Draymond as the player that he was. But early on in his career, and I was a year older than Draymond Green. It would have been his sophomore year, my junior year, which I think to me was probably the best season that I had. When we played Michigan State, I always felt like Draymond was still kind of coming into his own, wasn't in maybe the best shape of his career by any means. Mm -hmm. It was not a matchup where I was like, man, I'm going to have to be on it. Not that it was going to be a cakewalk, but I, when I looked at David Lighty guarding me, I was like, Oh boy, because <laughs> he's he's six six and he's really athletic and he's gonna get up into me and pressure me and make me uncomfortable. And Draymond was still young, and I just I didn't feel like he had kind of found his way athletically, and I don't think he was in the shape he needed to be at that point in time to be the player that he was going to to become. Now I blow my knee out twice, and I come back my senior year, and now we're in the same class because I redshirt. And Draymond Green is the player of the year in the league. And he had worked on his body and he had worked on his game. And he was one of the best players in college basketball. Now, with that being said about his pro prospects, I mean, I thought he would work his ass off, be a team guy, which both those things he's clearly done. But to see the way that he has been a facilitator at the NBA level and a defender at the NBA yeah. level is incredible to me. And that's a total credit to his work ethic of, getting in shape, becoming a better athlete, utilizing his length. Cause he's, it looks like he's got crazy long arms. I don't know what his wingspan is, but I'm sure it's one of those like each one more where he's like plus six for, or plus seven from his, <laughs> I think, his it, I think it's right around seven feet. So it's, it's gotta, like yeah, six. it's, it's yeah. gotta be. Yeah. That's how each one was six, four with a seven, one wingspan. <laughs> uh, but I, I just thought that, you know, it's incredible to see the transformation that he made from the time he was a sophomore at Michigan state to all of a sudden being one of the best players in the, in the country and the best player in the big 10 to now he's probably going to be a, not probably he's going to be a hall of famer. He's a yeah. hall of famer in, in he'll be in the Naismith hall of fame. <laughs> like that is, that's insane. But I do remember um, how vocal he was on the floor. We played a game of Michigan state my last year, and this is, the most BS travel in the history of the Big Ten Conference. We could not get out of West Lafayette. Game was at noon on a Saturday. And we're trying to fly out at like 7. I don't know why we didn't go earlier, but we practiced at Purdue, and we're flying out at 7. Terrible snowstorm comes through. So the flight's delayed to 8. Then the flight's delayed to 9. We're sitting on the plane. I watched an entire movie, and we had not. We kept like de-icing, getting ready to take off. Can't do it. Come back to the ice. And then all of a sudden, they're like, we can't fly. So it's midnight. The game is at noon. So we're, we're getting pretty close. We go back to Mackey. They tell us to go, go to our apartments, try to sleep. And at four o'clock, we're going to bus up to East Lansing and play at noon. So, so we bust up there and, you know, we, we arrive at the Breslin center. I took a shower as if I was just waking up at the stadium, shaved, and then went out and warmed up. And we actually played pretty well in the first half, but the the one thing I remember from the first half about this is the way that Draymond would walk guys through plays, especially Adrian Payne. I played with Adrian in Minnesota with the Timberwolves, and you know if Adrian had had messed up a play, Draymond was right there to be like he was telling them what to do at times, and I I just thought it was amazing to see him quarterback guys that didn't maybe remember a play and be able to get them through and still run their offense. And then we got beat by like 40 points in the second <laughs> half. We got murdered. 
And it was just, it was such a like, oh my God. And we weren't playing all that well. It didn't look like we were going to make the tournament. I was playing, I went 0 for 11. It's the one game in my career that I did not record a field goal. So <laughs> the Breslin Center, even though I love it, it does have that on me. I did not make a shot at one point. Just a pathetic. Who was, who was guarding you primarily in that game? I would was assume I should go back and watch it, although I don't want to. <laughs> just to see, to see who it was. I would assume, yeah, it had to be Draymond. Because in the game coming back at Purdue, he we guard each other a lot. Um, it had to be Draymond. I don't see how it would have been anybody else. Maybe AP a little bit, but probably not Delva. I bet it was Draymond Green for the majority of the game. Well, uh, Robbie Humble, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. We appreciate your analysis. Like I said, uh, we love watching you and looking forward to watching the season. Uh, BTN and ESPN, is that who you work for right now? Well, Aside from I, no, doing radio? My, my, my contracts are all up, so oh, I don't know who I work you're for. You're a free agent. No. I, yeah, free agency. So you've entered the portal. A, You're... <laughs> I've I've entered the announcer portal. <laughs> Whatever that means. We'll see. We'll see I here was, in the coming months. I was curious about that because of obviously the shakeup that's coming right. in Big Ten broadcast rights. If yep. that might be if that might be something. So okay, well we'll uh We'll keep our eyes peeled to see yeah, where, you you're, where, you're, you where you are next year. You know, my my free agency campaigns in the NBA were always terrible. Like they were the worst because you'd watch all these guys sign. And I only played two years in the league, but and you're my my level of player was still like four weeks away. <laughs> you know, like free agency <laughs> would start and you had four weeks of waiting. I'd call my agent Mark Bartles team and just be like, you know, have you heard anything? He's like, well, we're still a couple weeks out. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> so hopefully this goes a little bit uh better, but we'll see. We will see. So is that uh to go back a little bit? So they for this season it's going to be uh Fox, CBS, and NBC. Is that who's gonna be carrying besides BTN? Yes, and NBC picks up ESPN's games. Okay. But they'll be on Peacock on the app, I believe. And uh, Fox, FS1, BTN, CBS. So that will be the, uh, that's where you will find your Big Ten basketball. How did you initially get into broadcasting? I mean, what, what sort of steered you that direction? Yeah. So I was playing in the NBA and they had this program called Sportscaster U. And it was at the University of Syracuse and you had to put $5,000 down to ensure that you would show up. And then they literally <laughs> wrote you a check. Because guys would sign up and then say, oh, wait, this is in July. Yeah, I'm good. You know, like they, I'm, I'm enjoying my summer. And then they would never get anybody to show up. So you had to write a $5,000 deposit. And then you got a $5,000 check plus interest when you showed up. The program was free. You just had to pay for your hotels in Syracuse, New York. But Syracuse is like the grandfather of sports broadcasting. Yep. Alongside probably Northwestern has some good stuff. And USC, you can make the case. But if you're watching a basketball game or a football game, the play-by-play -play guy probably went to Syracuse. It's a good chance. They, they just – Bob Costas, Mike Tirico, Jason Benetti, Dave Pat. I mean, it's just like the list just keeps coming on and on of guys that went to Syracuse and now are broadcasters. But our group was – see if I can remember this. Myself, Matt Bonner, Amari Stoudemire, Randy Foy – Danny Granger, Nazi Muhammad, Kalena Azabuki. So that was our group, and we were in Syracuse for three days, and it was just a crash course on everything broadcasting. So we called a game for TV. We called a game for radio. We did studio shows because it was – we were there – actually, this, this was in June, not July, because we were covering the NBA Finals using the NBA's footage because it's an NBA program, mm -hmm. and we were just covering it as if we were in the media. So – you know, we did studio shows. We did a demonstration on the court at the Syracuse practice facility like you'd see on college game day. Did everything. And I wasn't good, but I wasn't awful either. And I was like, <laughs> wow, this, that was really fun. Like, I really enjoyed doing it. Um, I was still playing in the NBA. The next summer, I did the Sportscaster U second edition, which was at the University of Virginia at the, the uh, Top 100 NBA Players Association camp. So it's coached by NBA guys. There's a GM symposium where you can learn front office stuff from actual front office NBA guys. And then there's an announcing aspect of that where they call the games. And I did that. And I felt like that went pretty well. And then I was out of the NBA and I'm playing in Milan for Giorgio Armani's team um, in the Italian league. <laughs> and he's the team owner. And I ended up hurting my shoulder. I was blocking out and I dislocated my shoulder, had to come home and have surgery 
um, on my labrum and big 10 network reached out and they were like, would you want to do 10 studio? And I wasn't doing anything. I was actually rehabbing at Purdue and kind of helping with the team and coach painter said I could do it. He didn't care if I was doing both. Um, so I did 10 studio and my now agent happened to be watching a Michigan game. Cause he's a Michigan grad. I'm sorry to you guys for, for that. It's okay. <laughs> um, but because of that, that's how he saw me. And some guy came up to me at BTN on my like third or fourth night. He said, Hey, my, my friend's a, a sports agent or a, sorry, a broadcasting agent. Would you want to talk to him? And I'm like, Oh, this guy's gotta be a terrible sports broadcasting he wants to talk to me i've done three shows you know i can't be any good and i googled him and at the time he repped you know he still reps kenny smith and he had doris burke and he had iron eagle it's like oh man well yeah i'll talk to him and so i kind of talked to him i went to russia to play my last year i I got cut by the nuggets i was the last cut and was gonna go to the g league and signed to play in moscow and uh, I went because Alexi Shved had been my teammate in Minneapolis and he was on this team and they were trying to get back to Euro league. And it was a disaster. Like the coach was a psychopath. <laughs> Moscow is a cool city, but it's so cold. I hate it every day. So I called my agent, Maury Gosfran, who's my TV agent now. And then my basketball agent, Mark Bartlestein. And I told them both get whatever you can get next year. And at the end of the day, end of the summer, I'm picking and I'm just going with that. I cannot play overseas anymore. I hate it. I hate every day. So that's kind of how I got into TV. And I, I had off, I had a workout with the Bucks and I hurt my back shooting the day before. I'm like, this is a sign. <laughs> like this, this <laughs> is definitely a sign. If I'm just shooting jumpers and I, I hurt my back. Um, I had some offers to go play in Spain for a EuroLeague team for a month. I had an offer to go to Turkey, which is on the border of Syria, which at the time, ISIS, if you remember, was yeah, like yeah. running. So yep. I was like, I can't be on the border of Turkey and Syria. Um, and I had a couple other offers to go play, but I just I could not do it. I had an offer in, in Israel that was a, would have been a pretty good one, but I I was broken from Moscow, so I got into TV. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great you're able to stay the game you love, obviously, clearly, right? And so you're still yep. able to stay up, keep up on it without having to do all those workouts, totally. right? In the practice, well, you, you sit courtside and you watch big 10 basketball and you collect a paycheck. So there, there are much worse things I could be doing. I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. Yeah. Just like we feel very fortunate to do the show and have the listeners and people support us. And uh, it's, it's fantastic. So, and talk to, you know, great people like you. Uh, so thank you. Oh yeah. Our pleasure. Uh, so just a reminder for everybody, uh, if you want to support the show, we do appreciate that. If you like the content we're bringing you, especially, you know, uh, we got Mike DeCourcy, coach Thomas Kelly, Jay Billis, Robbie Hummel. We're bringing all the big names in here for you guys in the off season. So hope you appreciate that. It's lend us a little bit of support. You can go to tffinots.com slash support there. You can give one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo or recurring gift through uh, Patreon. You can uh, look at the different levels, Scott Skiles, Draymond Green, or Mateen Cleaves or Magic Johnson level with various uh, rewards. Uh, so uh, Robbie Hummel, thanks again for being on the show. And until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.